sharing his very, very his important lessons of what you need to do when you go back to your communities. Thank you very much. Rishus Vekhalinsky, all of the Rasei Yeshiva. I should make a shachyonu that I'm here in this room. I've seen a lot, Baruch Hashem, of beautiful things that came out of this room, that came out of this building. Uh, I've had the privilege to, to get to know and uh, befriend many, many Talmidim of Chappelle's. And it's just, uh, it's a special, it's clearly, clearly a special, special place. And a place which is guided by great wisdom in the, in the, Chinuch and the framework which it provides, and I'm sure you realize it, and I hope you're taking every every advantage of it. Um, it's a, it's a privilege for me to be able to address you, and I would just uh, say that I'm going to try to be as practical as possible. I don't think that that Rabbi Kalinsky asked me to come and, and take your time to share Torah, because Baruch Hashem, that's what you do here all the time. You have Outstanding Rashi Yeshiva who shared Tyra. So, why on earth would he ask me to come speak to you? Uh, it would only be because uh, it's going to be anticipated, I guess, for better and for Kali, so general thing, not so much for better, that you'll, many of you will find your way back over the ocean to American Jewish communities. And there's, a, there's sort of like a real life that has to be seen and has to be addressed. So, I'm here to talk to you about real life. Tyra is our guide to, re- guide to real life, so I want to frame the discussion a little bit in the framework of Torah, but our focus and the purpose of this is real life, and I think that Rabbi Kalinsky suggested that there be some time for some questions at the, at the conclusion. So that's the, that's the direction, that's the direction of it. Um, this, this week, and the, the subject that we're going to be talking about that Rabbi Kalinsky asked me to speak about was a subject related to, to leadership in communities. And this is a, 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 the lesson or the idea which I want to try to draw with you from the story that begins in this week's Parsha. It's going to occupy us for a, little, for a little while, which is really a fundamental story of leadership. And I'm going to start by asking you a question, a simple question that emerges not from this week's Parsha, but from the continuation of the story of the sale of Yosef that comes out in next week's Parsha. In next week's Parsha, the brothers find their way down to Egypt because of the famine. They find themselves in front of whoever this person is, the Viceroy of Egypt, who is their brother, who they don't realize, who they don't realize is their brother. And uh, he starts the drama of pretending to be somebody else, of giving them a hard time. And what does he say? He says, he accuses them of being spies, and he says, the way you'll be able to be proven, one way or the other, we will be able to determine who you are, is you're going to have to bring that younger brother that you claim to have back here. Send one of you, and he'll go bring your brother. You stay here as prisoners, We'll be able to tell, if he comes back with that younger brother that you claim to have, we'll be able to tell 
whether your words that you claimed are true or not. So he puts them in jail. One of you should leave. Anyone wants to leave? The brothers don't budge. They don't move. Nobody's going. One for all and all for one. And Yosef then seems to be the one to crumple a little bit. On the third day, he says, modified. Zeis asu v'chiu. This is what you should do so you'll be able to live. I'm a God-fearing person. I'm willing to change my approach. Im atem, if you're telling the truth, one brother will stay here as a hostage, and the rest, v'atem, the rest of you, the rest of you should go back, bring back the food for your family, and bring back that little brother. That's what Yosef does. Originally, plan A, you'll all stay here imprisoned. One of you will go back and bring your brother, and then we'll know that you're telling the truth. Plan B, one of you will stay here imprisoned, and all of you will go back, and you'll bring the food, and then you'll bring back your brother. Quite a change from plan A to plan B. What's the essence of the change? We have to identify it, because what's fascinating is that Vayomru Ishalachiv, the verse says afterwards, and the man said to his bro- brother, in other words, they said to each other, Oi, we're guilty. We're guilty over our brother. We saw how he was suffering when he pleaded to us. We paid no attention. That's why we have this difficulty. And Ruvain says, I told you so. And they didn't realize that Yosef was overhearing the whole thing. The brothers suddenly start beating their chest. They start, suddenly start saying, we made a mistake. We made a mistake when we sold Yosef. And there's a very straightforward question that has to be asked here. They were sitting in jail for three days. Did they do any of this? When they're sitting in jail for three days, did they say, Oi, you know, we shouldn't have sold our brother. Look what happened to us. From what we can hear, not a word. Now, Yosef changes from plan A to plan B, and now they start suddenly reflecting and saying, Oh my goodness, what did we do to our brother? And this time they're doing it in the most odd circumstances. Yosef is standing in front of them. They've just been given this counter-proposal. They're talking to each other in front of him. Okay, they're speaking in a foreign language that they don't think he knows. Why now? Do you understand the question that I'm asking you? They start to reflect when Yosef actually says, almost all of you can go free, instead of when Yosef says, all of you have to sit here except one can go back. Why does the reflection start now? And I would like to suggest to you the following. The reflection starts when they see what happens to them, reflecting what they did to their brother. What they did to their brother, they took one brother, and they sold him off as a prisoner. They sold him off as a prisoner. So now, when they have the same thing occurring to them, that one of their brothers is being held as a prisoner, they say, oh, oh my goodness, the rest of us are allowed to go free. One of our brothers is staying as a prisoner. This matches too much what happened with Yosef. And so they start to wonder, maybe okay. maybe that's what it means. What's the significance of that? Why did Yosef have a plan A? Yosef's vision was also about prisoners. 
but they would all be prisoners except one who would go and bring them back the food. And what is possibly to be seen here is that Yosef's plan A was exactly the way he saw the story. The way he saw the story was that when he was sold to Egypt, he wasn't the prisoner. He was the one who was their ticket to freedom. He was the one who was their ticket to survival. When he was being sold to Egypt, he was being positioned to be the viceroy of Egypt who would save the lives of Klal Yisrael. And so for him, the better matching model to the story which had happened with him was that all of the rest, all of the brothers should be locked up, should be limited, and one of them would go free to be the ticket to freedom for the rest. But the brothers didn't see it that way, couldn't see it that way. The brothers, to the brothers instead, they were the free ones. They had sold their brother into slavery. There was one brother who was held prisoner while the rest were free. And until they saw their story as that story, they didn't recognize the parallel between the two. Why am I telling you this? What does it have to do with our subject at hand? You see, Yosef was a leader. He was a leader of the Jewish people. He had a dream in the beginning of this week's Parsha Vayeshev about being a leader. He dreamed that all of their stocks, all of their stars, all of them would be coming and bowing down to him. Isn't that what it means to be a leader? That everybody should come and bow down to you. But that's not at all what it means to be a leader. What it means to be a leader is the way Yosef would ultimately describe to his brothers what he was doing in Egypt. The fulfillment of the dreams. The bowing, in a great sense, was besides the point. In fact, as soon as everybody who had to bow down to him had finished bowing down to them, Yosef pulls off the mask and they never bow down to him. He doesn't want them to bow down to him. He goes and he starts kissing them and embracing them. A leader is the one who goes ahead to try to take care of everybody else. Yosef said, I went to Egypt to be able to take care of you. The vision that Yosef had of being a leader of the Jewish people threw off the brothers. They said he's this sort of like this self-centered person. He wants all of us to be bowing down to him. And to Yosef, that wasn't the dream or the vision at all. It wasn't that he wanted them to bow down to him. He wanted to take care of them. When you take care of people, so necessarily there's a certain degree of that they're, they, they're, they're a little bit humble before you. They have some deference to you because you're taking care of them. But it's an odd irony because truly, if you're dedicating your life to taking care of them, you are the one who's really bowing down to them all the time. You know, the Gemara says that kisvurim atim, you think that you're getting sorora, sororus, you think you're getting leadership, you're getting avdus, you're getting servitude. They were told, Rechavam ben Shlomo, when he, went, when he was talking, when he was becoming the king of the Jewish people, 
he was told, if you want to be a servant to this nation, a servant leader, a person who's there to serve, it's a fundamental perspective on leadership that, in the truest sense, makes it or breaks it. It's why in the Torah, what's always valued in leadership is humility. Because then the perspective is that I'm there, the person's there as a leader to be able to serve, to contribute, to do for others, to have their life revolve around and be dedicated to the service of others instead of seeing themselves to some degree as the one who it's all about. There was a moment when Yosef lapsed. There was a moment when he was put in charge of the house of Potiphar. And he was Yefei Toar Yefei Mare. He was of beautiful appearance. And Rashi says, he saw, he saw his promotion and he started to make sure that he looked right. That he looked apart. He got caught up with himself a bit. And immediately, the divine providence put him in his place. The kinds of challenges that come to leaders who get caught up in themselves was immediately placed upon Yosef HaTzadik and immediately he corrected. Immediately he resisted the wife of Potiphar and what she tried to ensnare him in. And he was back to being Yosef. There to be able to serve his brothers. Leadership, quote-unquote, is service. And service is not reserved in the Jewish people. I would even say in humankind. It is not reserved for people, so to speak, who fit on some kind of a podium which is reserved for important people. Every person, every person, every one of you, every one of us, must, as part of our basic definition as human beings, certainly as Jews, assume that which is the central aspect of leadership, which is service. There's a famous pitgam, there's a famous saying, which was given over the son of the great Rav Chaim Volozhner. Rav Chaim Volozhner reports that his father used to say it to them all the time. In, in, in the writings of Rabbi Mordechai Gimpel Yaffe, who was a student of Volozhin, he says exactly the same thing. This was the mantra of the Volozhiner. And that was, Ze kol ha'adam. This is what man is all about. Lo la'atzmo nivra. He wasn't created for himself. Ella la'choil la'acherim but rather to do for others, to make a difference for others, in whichever way he has the ability to do. That's what a human being is all about, to think about the difference that they're going to be able to make for others. It's important to note that in describing this, when they, when they describe this about Rechaim Velozhener, they said that Rechaim Velozhener who, who was a, a guy in Eilam. He was 
a Talmud scholar, a Torah scholar of epic proportions. You know, the greatest student of the Goyen of Vilna, they called him. You don't call somebody the greatest student of the Goyen of Vilna because, you know, because, you know, he knew the basics. Anyone who reads the Nefesh HaChayim sees the command that he had of every branch, of every realm of Torah. And Reb Chaim Velozhner used to, on a daily basis, on a daily basis, after davening, in the shul of Velozhner, not in the yeshiva of Velozhner, but in the Beit Knesset of Velozhner, he would learn with the Balei Batin, with the laymen, he would learn with them Chomesh Rashi. He would learn with them the Parsha with Rashi. I imagine learning the Parsha with Rashi with Reb Chaim Velozhner probably had a little bit of a sparkle to it. But it wasn't him letting it all out. It wasn't him saying, hey, excuse me one second, instead of learning Chomesh Rashi with, you know, with the milkman and the postman and the water carrier, let me instead perhaps spend a little more time. Let me commit some of this great Torah that I have inside myself to writing. All we have from Rav Chaim Velozhner is you know, a slim volume called the Nefesh HaChaim. Right, and another volume which, which is really written by others. <coughs> no. No. Zeh kol ha'odam. Loy la'atzwa'inibra. A person's not there for themselves. They're there to be able to do for others. And to, to move into the realm of the practical. To move into the realm of the practical for people like you, people who come into the world of American Jewish communities, whether from studying in a yeshiva in Israel, whether from studying in a yeshiva in America, whether for studying, whether people who had spent their entire lives in Jewish communities, growing up in them, studying in what we would call yeshivas from a tender young age and all the way through, and then graduating from that system and coming and being their own people, establishing their own families and Jewish communities, or whether people who are going to be coming back in a certain sense for the first time full-blown into the Jewish communities than th- that they've been in before, all face, I think, a similar challenge. They face a similar challenge in the following. They see sometimes that there's a fork in the road when one quote-unquote, graduates from a yeshiva. There's a fork in the road. There are people who graduate from yeshivas and go on to be professional Jewish educators, professional Jewish leaders, rabbis, educators, teachers, etc. And then there's everybody else. And everybody else will often say to themselves, you know, you know, I left the yeshiva, but, you know, I didn't study enough. I need to study more. And they're right. I feel the same way. And I hope to, I've dedicated much of my life to trying to catch up and hope to continue to dedicate the rest of my life to trying to catch up and to be able to do more. We can always learn more. And the more we learn, the greater the human being we're going to be. And holding on to more years in, the, in, in a room like this, in a building like this, where this is all that it's about. Every additional week, month, year, it, it grows us in ways that 
will have dividends for ourselves and for everybody we can to come in contact with for the rest of life. But make no mistake, the truth of the matter is that there's one pathway that leads outside of this Vesmerish. It's one pathway. And that pathway is that everything which we've learned, we have to supplement and grow. And everything which we've learned has equipped us to go out there and make a difference. No, not to survive and to hold on and to be able to learn a little bit more, but to go out and to spread and to make a difference. Every human being, and especially every Jew, has to carry with them all the time, I don't exist here for myself. I can make a difference, and I will make a difference. I'll find the niche, I'll find the niche. Is everyone going to find the niche in teaching, in teaching Torah? In a certain sense, yes, they will. Because every one of you is equipped to share what you have. But there are so many ways beyond the literal book text teaching of Torah in which leadership, responsibility as leadership is needed, is required. When people walk into a room, when people walk into a community, you know, you can have two sets of eyes when you do that. You can walk in there and say, hmm, is this a community that's going to provide for all of my needs? Does it have this? Does it have that? Where am I going to find here something which is going to satisfy this spiritual need of mine, that spiritual need of mine? That's one set of eyes. And the other set of eyes is the person who walks into a place and says, what does this community need? Where can I fill in? Where can I do something? Where can I make a difference? Is it inside the shul? Is it with the youth? Is it with the families? Is it with the infrastructure? Is it with the school? Is it with the chesed that's provided by this community? The political action, who knows what, anything. There are so many things. We can go to life as the consumers or we can go to life as the providers. I'm sure you've all learned the Torah, the teachings of Rav Dessler, the author of the Nechtav Me'elio. Rav Dessler has, was really, in a certain sense, I think maybe the first published section of it, when it was published separately, was the Kuntras HaChesed. his monograph on chesed, on kindness. And there he says something. He says something which he describes as the essence, okay, this is going to sound like a broad, big, strong statement, which it is, the essence of what we have to decide to do in life. What does the service of HaKadosh Baruch Hu turn on? And he says, it, dis- it turns on whether the person sees themselves as someone who's here to get or someone who's here to give. And the philosophical basis of that is very simple and straightforward. And that is that we know that what's unique about us people is that we're created in the image of God. And we have as one of the central mitzvahs of Jewish life of the Torah is is you should emulate God. You should maximize that image of God. 
there's one thing which we know about God for certain, and that is that he never gets anything from anybody. God doesn't need anything. He doesn't get anything. That's a fundamental belief about the Rabbonu Shalom, about God. Rambam writes about it in the very beginning of the Mishnah Torah. That is, that every single thing in the world needs HaKadosh Baruch It all depends on Him. And Hashem needs nothing in the world. Hashem is giver, giver, giver. People receive, that's how we exist. Hashem created us in the image of God, in His image. And that means that in that context, yes, for our life and breath, we're dependent on Him. But after that, we have to also assume the posture of giving, of making a difference, of thinking about what we are going to be able to carry. We're we're going to be able to make a difference. That's what he defines as the essence of the avoda, of the work in life, of a person who wants to realize who they can be. That's Rechaim Velazhener. That's what a person is about. Not for themselves, but for the sake of others. People who live this way are the ones who really make it. People, again, who say, I took the fork in the road which says, I'm not going to be a professional giving to the community, so let me just go there to survive. Let me figure out how I'm going to be able to just manage, to be able to do something every day, to learn every day, to daven every day, and so on and so forth. Many of them survive. The ones who sparkle. They're the ones who go from here and say, I've been empowered to do something. I've been empowered by my existence. I've been empowered by my time that I spent in yeshiva. I've been empowered by the Torah that I've learned. I can now look. I can look around. I can contribute. I can make a difference on any level. On any level. I hope what I'm saying is coming across clearly and sharply. This is the the Nakuda. This is the point. The point that differentiates Yosef's view. It scared the brothers when he was dreaming about people bowing down to him, about them bowing down to him. They said, we see a person who's striving for leadership. That means he wants the world to revolve around him. But that wasn't it at all. It wasn't it at all. They saw a person who wanted to serve. To serve. To be there for others to make a difference. May Kodesh Baruch help each and every one of us. Each and every one of us. To not become preoccupied for one moment. For one moment. With those who may or may not be bowing down to us. But instead to only be thinking to only be thinking about the strength 
that we have within ourselves to be able to share, to be able to share, to be able to impact. I would welcome your questions. Howard, maybe I'll start just asking. Uh, I think I find sometimes, how many oftentimes we're very active communally before they come to yeshiva. And at the yeshiva, and they see how complex everything is, they get paralyzed. So now they'll say, I'm going to try to, I don't know, learn with some of your partners in Torah. How in the world can I know what I'm saying is correct? If I'm going to try to interact, to do outreach, it, it becomes so paralyzing that after, because of the extra knowledge, I think I find people become more afraid and, and less active. I, I, uh, I recognize the phenomenon, the phenomenon that you're describing. Now, the, the, the notion of a, a sort of humility as hesitation, a humility that, that, that paralyzes, is, is not a good thing. It's not a right thing. You, 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 every one of us needs to recognize, we need to look around. We're not supposed to take on things that may truly be beyond us and reserved for others, but you have to have a strong and healthy sense of what you have and what you're able to give and what you're able to share. Yes, if you're going to come out from here and say, okay, I'm now going to become the postsake of my community, I, that, that would be taking on something that you're not ready for. But there's absolutely what you have to share. There's absolutely what you have to share. And to be aware of your limitations and not to be ashamed of your limitations, and that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. You know, we have a, we have a, a minig in our shul. We have a custom in our shul. I do this since, since I, I began in the rabbinate. Friday night after davening, Friday night after davening, I ask a question on the parsha. Not a trivia question, you know, like what was Noach's wife's name or something like that. A thought question. A question that you really have to, you really have to think about. So I do this. People will come regularly. Are used to it. Very frequently, you know, we have guests. I don't know. There's a simple or something like that. You know, the rabbi gets up, asks a question, and then says, "Good Shabbos," and they think, "What just happened?" They turn to the person next to them, like, "Well, you know, what's going on?" He's a crazy rabbi. That's what he does. He asks a question, right? And he doesn't, and he doesn't give an answer. So people come over after davening. They say, "Good Shabbos." They say, can't wait to come to the speech tomorrow to see the hear the answer. Right? They're, they're like convinced that this is just like a setup, you know, like an advertisement, you know, like you know, to come for the next day. And it's not. It's not. Now, admittedly, maybe for the past 10 years or so, at Shalashudas, I talk about the question. But that was after 15 years of not doing that. I did it because someone asked me, you know, maybe you could, maybe you could do that. And the reason is because the vast majority of the time when I ask the question, I ask a question I don't have an answer to. Over Shabbos, I think about the question, you work on it. Because it doesn't matter if you're a partner in Torah or you're, so to speak, a professional teacher of Torah. One thing is sure. None of us have got this whole thing down. We don't know it all. And, of course, the more we think we know it all, the more truly ignorant we are. And 
to me, it's, well, that's part of the thing. I have a question. I have a question. I don't know the answer to this question. I want to spend some time over the Shabbos exploring the answer to this question. It's, it troubles me. You're learning with somebody, you're going to have a partner in tow. They're going to ask you a question that you won't know how to answer. And guess what you're going to tell them? That's a great question. I don't know the answer to that question. Let's explore the answer to the question. Maybe we'll explore it. Maybe we'll talk to somebody about it. Because, you know, you're learning, I'm learning. Maybe I have a few inches ahead of you. If you have a few inches ahead of you, you can already teach. You can already share. And you can already search and try to understand together. It's a great question. It's a great question. I don't. I, I, I'm. I'm not a Balshuva, as you know. That's a terrible thing to say, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm what I guess what they call an FFB. So, you know, what I'm sharing with you is going to be with, with, that you know from that vantage point. But I have. I. I Baruch Hashem. I have so many close friends and. Members of our Kihila who are Bali Tshuva Latiferis, you know, beautifully, wonderfully. And that phenomenon can be there. It, it, it's, it's, it's not a great idea for all kinds of reasons. It's not a great idea for all kinds of reasons. Of course, a person wants to be integrated, they want to be secure, comfortable, confident members of the community. But it seems to me <coughs> that there's a competition for more often than not. Maybe it's a competition, maybe it's not. But the one who wants so badly to be seen as, oh, I can't even tell, is the one who's less integrated. Right? The greatest place to be is to be secure with who you are secure with who you are it's the security with who you are that makes you that makes every person the easiest to interact with when people are insecure and over uh, you know lack confidence and trying to hide this thing that thing the other thing nobody can relate to somebody like that and this has nothing to do with whether a person's about shuva or a, or a from from birth right a person who's trying to pretend to be affluent and to be able to be along with those who, have, who, who, who really isn't. There's so much static surrounding that person that nobody can relate to that person. They're not real. They're not comfortable in their skin. And I want to just say that's one of the things which always strikes me about the graduates of this particular yeshiva is they're, they're comfortable. They're secure. They're comfortable in their own skin. Now, when Chazal say that a person who does tshuva me'ava, a person who does tshuva out of love, passion, not just because they're afraid of something, but because of conviction. So then the, quote-unquote, the averis that they did in the past become like mitzvahs. What they're saying is that person 
is not trying to run away from something. That person is taking everything that they are and bringing it forward to use as they've grown, as they've expanded their horizons, as they've enlarged their vision, as they have a new insight as to what it means to really fully live. And they bring it all with them. And that's a tremendous gift. It's a tremendous gift. Don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. Be proud. You know, at the Simchas Beis HaShoeva, right, you, you know that Mishnah, right? So there were, the, there were two people, two types of people dancing in the middle of the circle. And they both sung out loud, right? The FFBs sang, praise the Lord, there were FFBs. Ashrei Yalduseinu, Shalebisha Ziknaseinu. We have nothing to look back on to say, oi, 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 hide those pictures. And the Bali Tshuva said, Ashrei Ziknaseinu, Shekipri Yalduseinu. We're so lucky, look where we are. Look where we are. They both sang out loud, right? If it would be today, I know some you have a bunch of bunch of you know FFBs in the Balchuva line, a bunch of Balchuva FFB line trying to sing the other guy's song. <laughs> we should all be very comfortable with where we are. We all bring something very, very valuable, as is. It's 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 a deeply, deeply important point. The the insecure again to try to be comfortable, integrated. In that way, great. But not by pretending to be somebody else. By being exactly yourself. By being exactly yourself and growing yourself. So you said that when you take a shul, you should be looking more for what you're able to give to the community rather than what the community can give to you. But if you go to either extreme, you end up with a bad situation. Either the community isn't a good fit for you, or you're trying to like make the whole community yourself. So I I, I, I want to clarify slightly. Whichever community you go to, there's going to be things that you will be able to get from it, and there are going to be things you're going to give to it. Every room you walk into, right? So if you have people walk into a room, walk a room, there's a paper towel on the floor. Right? There are some people who will just pick it up. Not every person picks it up. Because every room has quote unquote paper towels on the floor. Every room has, every shul, every community has things that you can give. I, I don't think that you should be oblivious to what you can get from the community. I don't say just look at what you can give, don't look at what you can get. Yes, of course. There's a value to being in a community that supports your values. The Ramam teaches it's a mitzvah diorisa, it's a Torah commandment for a person to choose to attach themselves to a place which can help encourage you know, good values, and so on and so forth. But when you go there, so that's a qualification. But just don't go there thinking about what you can get. Look at both sides of the equation. Thank you for bringing that up. I have a more technical question about beginning with the story of Joseph. How do you know, or where do you get from that his perspective the entire time was oh, I want to be giving to my brothers, when I'm saying, oh, you're going to be bowing down to me. That's what he meant. I mean, wasn't the idea that he was a little arrogant at the time, like he, he was being a little arrogant the entire time? And where, where's the whole time? Like, how do we know that his perspective from day one was, no, 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 no. when I'm saying bowing down, it's I'm really, I'm giving to you. Guys. If that's what he meant, why did he say that outright? 
versus how he said it sounded from a place of total arrogance. What he said was the dream that he had. He reported the dream. Yosef provided zero editorial comment. Right. The first person to do any interpretation were the brothers, the father. They interpreted Yosef's dream. Yosef mm-hmm. just reported the dream. The sheaves were bowing down to me. Can I prove to you from there that Yosef knew from day one that it was service? I can't prove it. I can't prove it. But I would say two things that would sort of, to me, indicate it. <clears throat> one is the question itself. The fact that Yosef said this to the brothers, how naive was he? How foolish was he? And then to go off there, you know, but you know, maybe to some people, when they say, I'm going to be playing this role, they're so focused on the service that they don't even, they're not even sensitive to how it's going to be heard as, oh, he's a self-censored egomaniac. That was foreign to him. I speculate, speculate, speculate. But it wasn't Yosef saying to the brothers, hey guys, you know the dream I just had? I had a dream you guys are all going to be bowing down to me. <laughs> ha! No. Yosef said, you know, I had this dream. I had this dream. You know what this means? It's, it's a Jewish perspective. You know, do you know that the Jewish people are the center of the world? Right? You read the first Rashi in the Chumash. The world was created for the Jewish people. Horatius, Bishvili Yisrael, Shinniku Horatius. First Rashi in the Chumash. People can take that as arrogant. We can be the most snobby, chosen people in the world and say, hey, the world revolves around us. Or we can read that Rashi. And thank God, plenty of Jews read the Rashi that way. And they say, you know what that means? That means that we have to carry the whole world. The whole world is dependent on us and what we're going to do. You know, sometimes we have a tin ear. You know, we only, we hear it one way. I think part of Yosef's conveying it to the brothers innocently, naively, the hunar, yes, to some degree, he didn't realize how it was going to play. But not because he was so, so foolish and so immature to not realize that if I tell somebody, you know, I'm going to rub your face in it all the time, that that wouldn't go over very well. No, it was because he was talking about service and they said, but in the end, we're going to be bowing down to him. He didn't get that. I believe that that may be what's happening here. The second is just because of the consistency of it. The consistency of it. Yosef is constantly deflecting. Later in his life, yes, is when we find it, but it's later when he's sold from the pit. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, God is on his lips. Hashem is doing it, Hashem is doing it, Hashem is doing it. That's the mantra of Yosef's life. When a person is constantly saying Hashem is doing it, it's not me, Hashem is doing it, that doesn't sound like an egocentric person. And there was one moment where his life turned, and that was when he did do that. That's why I think. I can't prove it. I can't prove it. I'm, I'm over your time. Yes, you call. Thank you.